This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Yosef Haddad, Arab-Israeli from Nazareth who served in the Israeli Defense Forces elite Golani Battalion. The second I stepped into the Golani family, I was part of the family. Not only that, back then I was among maybe five, six Israeli Arabs who joined and served and volunteered in the IDF. Which means that the majority of the soldiers, the fighters that I was with, they were obligated to serve in the army. I volunteered. All my friends, my soldiers' friends, brothers, they not only respected that, but they admired the fact that I decided to give from my years, yeah, three years, to serve my country. Emily Schrader, an American-Israeli Jew from Seattle, who uses those Holocaust comments made by Whoopi Goldberg to explain a malaise in Western values. What Whoopi Goldberg said is a symptom of a larger problem. It, it isn't just in the black community. It's on the far left, and it's the far left that's hijacked the Democratic Party in the United States, and they want everything to be about racial conflict. And again, just like in Israel, that's not really the situation. It's not an accurate depiction. And the result of this is that you see Jews being forced out of the conversation, whether on Israel or, in, or within the United States. That's why you have people like Whoopi Goldberg saying, oh, well, the Holocaust was about white people and white people, when of course that's the furthest thing from the truth. Oh, no. Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Bringing Israel and the diaspora together. So we were uh, in New York, and we decided just to go and, uh, you know, protest. Kind of protest against all the uh, anti-Israeli BDS movements. And I decided to put on the board I'm an Arab who lives in Israel. Ask me why Israel is not an apartheid state. And I thought that could be an amazing opportunity because it went well in Union Square in New York. Let's do it at Speaker's Corner in London. And well, a little bit of a different animal, but that's okay. Yeah. Who doesn't give two about the death of Arab Israelis and Palestinian children who die under the hands of Hamas Do you know anything or about under me? terrorist attacks? Do you know anything about I know exactly what I need to know based on everything me? you've said so far. Okay. Okay. All you care about is demonizing and attacking the state of Israel. I have another baby killer supporter. Will you condemn Hamas murdering Israeli Arab Muslim children? That's a good question. That's a good question. Okay. Yes or no? Yes, I'm going to answer Mr. Mossad one yes second. Yes or no? Hey, Mr. Ignorant. Listen yes carefully. Yes or no? Do you condemn it? Listen again. I condemn it. From a president two seconds ago telling me. What is so hard for you? Say yes or no? 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 Speaker's Corner is the sort of kernel of what England is about. And I don't say Britain, I say England. There was the town square culture. As towns developed into cities, there would be a place around the well where someone would start talking and people would commune there and hear this. This is before newspapers. Yeah. So Speaker's Corner is a very English idea of free speech. So Good. You mix it with Instagram and people go absolutely batshit. Yeah. And Joseph Cohen, Israel Advocacy Movement, who uh, I, I see was your fight promoter yesterday, <laughs> um, was there to sort of protect you in a way because he kind of knows all the people around him. And he's an exceptionally brave individual, a bit like you guys. And who should turn up but Ali Diwa with an enormous amount of power. And actually thanking Israeli, Israeli, uh, Israeli Yosef Haddad for treating uh, Syrian civilians uh, during the civil war 
when Assad butchered his own people, when ISIS, the terrorist organization, butchered Syrian uh, uh, people. And seeing a person coming and say thank you for Israel for treating Syri uh, Syrian uh, civilians, that's a huge thing for me. That's a huge thing to hear, uh, to acknowledge that from a Syrian person. We need to say that that man was from Syria. And he's here because of what happened in that war. And uh, by the way, before that I had a couple of conversations with another people who speaks Arabic, uh, which by my understanding and, uh, and knowledge, Arabic, they were, it's their first language. And we, we sat down and when we didn't shout, we managed to speak, uh, uh, um, you know, calmly and to pass the message that eventually we need to end that conflict. But if we keep selling illusions, that would never end. When people shout from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. When they shout, we don't need uh, two states, we want all of it. They sell illusion. Israel is not going anywhere. So as for the two million Arab who live in Israel, majority of Muslims, by the way. And the same thing I say, in the West Bank and in Gaza, Palestinians are not going anywhere. But in order for us to move forward, we need to dialogue and we need to make it. People like this, again, what's his name? Ali Tawa. People like this guy, do you think he cares? He's asking me, Israel killing babies, Israel killing babies. I asked him a simple question about Hamas, a terrorist organization. Yes or no? And he goes like, I condemn yes or no. Can't answer a simple question. He doesn't care. He lives here in London. He's enjoying his life in a democracy and freedom of the world. But if he goes to I don't know where, into Gaza, he can't even say one sentence. One sentence. Joseph Cohen obviously is very, very helpful uh, explaining who is who. Um, and he, he did mention to us that uh, Ali Dawa was a known uh, anti-Semite. <laughs> yeah. um, but we actually didn't, we didn't approach him. He <laughs> saw Yosef's sign. Um, yeah, Mr. Isis, he calls him. Uh, he saw yes. Yosef's sign and uh, started a conversation with him. Um, kind of as expected, I guess. And, you know, it's very <coughs> obvious to us who work in this media and social media sphere that everything he's doing, he's not doing to have a dialogue. He's not even doing necessarily to promote an idea to the people he's speaking to. He's doing it for show. He's trying to get sound bites. And everywhere he goes, there's 500 cameras of, you know, his supporters around him. So we kind of knew, we knew his type when mm. he began the conversation. So we knew how to deal with him. Yeah, we knew how to deal with him, right? Like, like, like uh, uh, people don't understand that there is types of people when you come to speak about uh, this conflict there's people that are willing to come shake your hand and say hey let's have a respectful dialogue uh, uh, and, 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 and see we had that and we yeah. had that mm -hmm. and there's people that they don't really care they just want to generate click bites they want to um, shout they're really not interested in really hearing what's going on so it's either we fall into that trap and then any question that he would ask, we will try to answer it in a very knowledgeable and, uh, and reasonable way, which is this is what they want because they're not going to use it, they're not going to do it. So they will you know, elevate themselves by pushing us and by going on, on us or we'll do the same thing back to them. Yeah. And that's what we decided to do. Immediately when he confronted Yosef, he started talking about how he was working in coordination with Mossad, first and then he knew Joseph knew Cohen. Joseph. First of all, that I knew Joseph. He's like, oh, you know him? What's your name? He so said, I'm, see, so they're Mossad, so because telling, they know yeah. each other. So I'm telling this is, I know. Well, I'm not in Mossad, but I know <laughs> all these people. So, Are you sure? Are you sure uh, I, that? That might be a false you, flag. I'm, yeah. I'm telling you, you probably flagged as a Mossad agent. For him, as I said, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. So it was like uh, calling me Mossad all the time, mm -hmm. despite the fact that... I think that's that, a compliment, uh, actually. Yeah, I know, but you, you see... But I'm waiting for the paycheck. I, mean, <laughs> I know. They keep saying this, and the checks don't come. They do pay sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's above table. Yeah. <laughs> As we say on the football terraces in England, who are you? Who are you? <laughs> Emily, you're an American. I am an American-Israeli. I was born in the U.S., in Seattle, actually. Coffee. Um, but I grew up, yes, exactly, coffee. And actually, not very good coffee. I'm not right, a Starbucks good, good fan. Right, good to hear. That's why I had to come. <laughs> well, you for as well. A fuch bavakasha. Yes. Better coffee in Tel Aviv. Yes. Right. Um, so I grew up kind of all over. I was a figure skater. 
Uh, my family is from Los Angeles, though, and I went to school out there at USC, worked in politics, um, political campaigns, and that's sort of what led me into the direction of Israel activities. And I saw how hostile and aggressive the anti-Israel side was and sort of pushed me to be more vocal about it because a lot of times people are scared to speak up, and I'm not. No. So, <laughs> so I realized that there was a gap that needed to be, uh, a void that needed to be filled. Mm -hmm. So I became very, very involved both professionally and personally um, and did a lot of activism in the U.S. Um, and ultimately made Aliyah about six years ago, almost seven years you? ago. 23, right. I think. <laughs> Great time. Yeah, after after the army age. You know, I actually reached out to the army and they're like, you're too old. Really? Yeah, true story, yeah. Really? That's, that's <laughs> and Yosef, you weren't born in Seattle. <laughs> born in Haifa, raised in Nazareth, the biggest Arabic uh, city. And by the way, if you want really good coffee, it's in Nazareth. Yeah, I'm sure and that's hum right. And I'm hummus. Sure that's right. And, and hummus. hummus too, yeah. Actually, um, all the food. Very <laughs> yeah, good in Nazareth. Yeah. Um, I mean, four or five years ago, I was a CEO of a marketing research company and uh, I had a really good salary. Amazing, uh, amazing. Uh, uh, I mean, I mean, just the fact that uh, I had my own parking spot in Tel Aviv, that's, wow. that's it at all. But I decided to quit that job because I saw that my society, uh, you know, is going are going backward. And when I say my society, I mean the Israeli society. I wish in the future I wouldn't have to explain that I mean Jewish and Arab society, but just say Israeli society, and everyone will understand that I mean also the Jewish and the Arab society. Uh, so I've decided uh, to, and at, the, and, and at the same time as well. I saw that my country is being bashed by the media uh, and uh, by uh, the social media, uh, telling lies, presenting lies about me, my society, my country, and I couldn't uh, agree to that. And that's why I founded the organization Together Vouch for Each Other. It's an Arab-Israeli organization that worked to bridge gaps between Jews and Arabs and to integrate the Israeli-Arab society into the is Israeli society. A work for the benefit of the um, of the Israeli society uh, also working to fix the main problems in our society in the Arab Israeli society because unfortunately our political leaders are not uh, doing that and at the same time as an Arab Israeli organization we go out and we fight the fight we say the truth we show the facts and Indeed, we say that Israel is not perfect, but from what you're saying and what you, from what you're seeing uh, on the media and social media, it's far away from the reality and the do and the truth, and that's where we fit in to actually deal with that. Yosef, you gave up a parking space in Tel Aviv, <laughs> and it's only gotten yeah. worse since then in Tel Aviv. Imagine, it would know. be worth so much today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Let me tell you something. When I told my parents that I'm quitting, my mom goes like, what? Are you giving up your parking spot in Tel Aviv? <laughs> that says it all. <laughs> the next day, Emily and Yosef were off to Ireland, where Yosef addressed the Irish parliament. There were some TDs here in Ireland who protested my address here today, claiming that the other side isn't being represented. I find this highly ironic after listening to two hours of Amnesty International speaking about their report just days ago. Even more absurd when you look at the fact that there hasn't been a speaker who supported Israel in the Rechus in the last, in the last, last four years. Yet, they're afraid that I, as an Israeli Arab, will speak in the Irish parliament. Are you afraid that I will expose your lies and hypocrisy about the state of Israel? Are you afraid that I will expose the true motivation <coughs> behind obsession with my country? That maybe, just maybe, it's not about human rights but about disproportionate focus on the one state in the world 
which defined itself as Jewish. You know, one of the criticism I received before my speech, in my speech here, was that I'm not Arab enough, honestly. I'm not Arab enough to speak about my own society. Now I ask you, what would you like me to do to be an Arab enough? Maybe this. He takes his jacket off and puts on a kefir. Is this what you want? Theatrics? Maybe I should do it with a thicker accent. Tell me, what's Arab enough for you? Did you expect me not to be able to think for myself? Not to have my own thoughts and opinions? Now, I want to talk about you guys as you're a power couple as well. This is another intriguing thing. You're engaged to be married. Yeah. We are. So you yeah. are, you are, tr well, Mazeltov, Mabruk. Mabruk. So you are. It's very funny that you said it before me. Oh, Mabruk. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, you know, it's great. That's the point. So <laughs> this is the thing, right? This is the thing. You're an Israeli couple in the truest and most broadest dynamic. Yeah. But not a Jewish couple. Mm -hmm. This is a very interesting yeah. challenge to the status quo of the Jewish world and indeed the Muslim world. Yeah. So you have, you have an American Israeli, you have an Arab Israeli. And people are, uh, they don't know how to deal with that. Mm -hmm. Whether if it's, they're Americans, whether uh, 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 in the Arab world, whether they're Israelis. I think the thing that, that it says to me, stepping away from like the personal, yes. is that you mentioned that it's an That's Israeli couple in the, in the broadest yeah. sense. You are, you are an Israeli couple, exactly. not a Jewish couple. This is, you see, this yeah. is what exactly. I want exactly. I talk to hundreds of thousands of people in the diaspora. I want to unpack and explain this. Yeah, I think it's really important. It actually goes into the organization, yeah, yeah. Yosef's organization, which we'll talk about. But um, that people oftentimes in the U.S., the Jewish community, we think of Israel and we think of what's, what happens in Israel, Israeli society as being Jewish. And it is Jewish. Mm. But it's also 2 million Arabs yes. who are equal citizens. 20% um, of the population. 20% yeah. of the population. And there are also uh, other minorities as well, other religious minorities as well, Druze and, and Circassians and others. Um, and this is often forgotten in the effort to explain and to, to defend and to talk about Israel. And I think that's a strategic mistake. I think that's something that damages the relations between Israelis of all backgrounds within the country and then also the diaspora. We also need, we, we talk about Jewish being, uh, Jewish, Israel being Jewish and democratic, mm -hmm. but we don't really educate about the democratic aspect Besides. as much. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's a mistake. So I'm happy for our, for our relationship to be an example of, you know, Israel. I think one of the things that I also see is, even during uh, my tour here in the U.S., the Arab society left alone and aside. No, nobody's speaking about the Arab society in Israel because they immediately categorize it as Palestinian. Yes. Or they just don't talk about it. Because there are massive towns in Israel which aren't mapped. You know, like, you know, they're sort of not exactly, they're there, but, you know, they're not, they're not there. There's, there's Haifa, there's Yerushalayim, there's Tel Aviv, there's Netanya, Renana, various others, Beersheba. But there's some very, very big cities in Israel which are not sort of mapped, and they are, this is, this is what we need to no, deal so, with. No, so here, here's the thing. We need to understand that uh, uh, between the reality and between what usually... Uh, we see on media there's a huge gap most of the villages and the towns in Israel are mapped and you know exactly what's going on mm -hmm. where they are there is a lot of problems yeah that we need to deal with um, but in in, 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 in in the south there is some villages that need to be recognized and uh, need to be dealt and by the way the current government is actually dealing with that quite well. Why? Because for the first time, you have an actual Arabic, uh, uh, an Arab political party in the coalition, which is huge, yeah. especially for people who are calling Israel an apartheid state, uh, because it's the this, because it's an opposite. Yeah. So, but 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 really, this is also something that we really need to talk about. Look, like Nazareth. It's one of the most important cities in, in Israel, not just because of the historical uh, uh, importance of, uh, of the city itself. It's important because it's uh, a very, the biggest Arabic city in Israel. Plus, you would see 
that when you go to the biggest Arabic city in Israel, you have tourism and you have Jews coming to visit, to eat, to travel, sure. to see, and not just that, also to visit families because they are friends. And yes. this is something that people don't realize. Yes. So the problem with the Arab society being left alone, it's because when you think of Israel, you immediately think of the Jewish society. And when you think of Arab, you immediately think of Palestinian society. That's the issue. That's what we need to talk about and say, hey, guys, no, there's two million Arabs in Israel who are Arab Israelis, mm -hmm. having Israeli passports, have equal rights. They can vote, they can be in the parliament, they can be judges, they can be uh, 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 um, uh, uh, politicians, they can be athletes, uh, uh, anchors, and it's happening. It's, it, it, it exists. It exists for many years. And, and I can share with you many information that will blow your mind. Like just, just the fact that despite the fact that we're 20% of the population, the last round of doctors, 50% of them, they were Arab Israelis. Last round of the new doctors, yes, 50% were Arab Israelis. This is like something 55, small. almost 60%. Uh, almost, almost, yeah, even 60%. So th this is the lack of, informa yes. of information about us. And that's why my, our voice in, 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 in the organization, together with each other, is very important. I had a very positive conversation with Dr. Nachman Shai, who's now the Minister of the Diaspora. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, before that brief, um, we talked in some detail about engaging the Arab population in upward mobility. And he was very optimistic about that. So maybe this is a new chapter of Israeli-Arab relations in Israel now, which is very promising. And I have a lot of, uh, of hope that that may, ch may change the landscape of Israeli politics. Maybe the 10, 12, I don't know what the number of uh, Arab Knesset members will be elected in the, in the joint list. Well, they are partners. Let's talk to them and see if they can join in and be part of the entire... One out of five Israelis is an Arab, okay? So they cannot be kept out of the game and, and just living in their own villages. They became integral parts of the Israeli society. There are bumps in the road. There's things like terrible things happen in Lod and Yerushalayim during the Gaza incursion. That sort of thing happened. Um, the burning down of a synagogue, which for me as an Ashkenazi, I'm sure you as well are, you know, to see that in, see that in Israel, you know, God, you know, what a shock. But but, the, but, but but there are, we must say that there are many more positive, because that's very televisual. That stuff. How many? How many? But there's there's how, positive things to be said. No, how many? How many TV programs, news, also shared an information or news piece of Arabs getting into the synagogue and saving yes Torah the Torah yeah with their own bodies. Yes, I mean, why we're not talking about yeah, this? Yeah, that needs to be said. That's need to be said. Why? I don't know. Because it's not as it doesn't fit the narrative in exactly. the news cycle. Yeah. The podcast is called Johnny Gould's Jewish State. For those who listen, for those who are willing to listen, it's an absolute pleasure to have Emily Schrader and Yosef Haddad with me. There's a book out in this country which is about to be released, I think, in Hebrew called Jews Don't Count by David Badil. Um, he's a non-Zionist, right? He's not an anti-Zionist, but basically what he is. And I'm not talking out of line here because I've studied what he said. He's essentially a Jew stuck in the 20th century. The main driver of Jewish culture in the 21st century is Israel. Whether the American Jews in Hollywood, Larry David, Woody Allen, the Jews in London who live out in 15 miles away, like it or not, with their bagels and, and cream cheese and, 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 and salt beef, the future is in Israel. I even know this because, of course, I learnt my uh, davening, my right in Ashkenazi, and I'm almost the last person in my shul to read like that. But I'm still going to do it because I like it and it's great. <laughs> and, I'm, and it's nice. And, and my kids... Well, Shabbos. Shabbos. <laughs> and... <laughs> If there's, if there's room in your movement for lopshin soup and canadlach, I'd like to just sign it, because, I mean, that is an endangered species. <laughs> it's really good. I'm, I'm, I'm Anyway. I mean, I can't agree with you there. I'm sorry. Uh, see, this is the problem, you know. You, you can't, you, I'm, I'm Israelized. Yeah, I know. This is the thing. This is the thing. And, and that's the point I'm trying to make, that, that life moves on. Mm. Um, you know, I like falafel. I like it. I like, I like, I like Israeli. I like Jewish culture. I like Arab culture. I like being part of that. 
it is part of who even I am from Birmingham, from the industrial midlands of this country. It's who I am, um, especially now. And the problem with that book is he's a bit like a secular Moshe Diane. He's got one eye closed and he's going meh. You know, but you, it's like ignoring the elephant in the room. It's, it's, it's not the elephant, it's a glorious golden elephant in the room, which is the future of our Jewish people. As Benjamin Netanyahu said, the purpose of the Jewish state, uh, the purpose of Israel, is to protect the future of the, the Jewish culture, the Jewish people. That's what he said. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I, 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 uh, I specifically, when I speak about Israel, uh, one of the important things, because I, be, I, I get asked a lot, so what do you think about the definition? You know that the fact is that Israel, you know, is is defined as Jewish state. Uh, we started this podcast by saying we, we don't emphasize enough on the democratic side of this state. Um, for those in my society as well in the world, I say a couple of things about this. One, the definition of Israel being a Jewish state will not change. Anyone who will try to to change that he is going to actually uh, fail. Fail because if you analyze the political map, you would see that all of the right uh, will never change that. And most of the left even will not change that. This is, this is most of the left, Jews left, yeah? Need to understand that, yes, the majority, they define Israel as Jewish and democratic state. Now, what I say is anyone who tries to sell that, that he can change it, is just selling illusions and not really practice or, yeah. you know, dealing with reality. Like the politicians in the Arab society, yes. which they don't do anything for our society, the Arab-Israeli society. And the first thing they do when they get there to be in the Knesset is actually speaking against Israel and then talking about Gaza, Ramallah, and uh, Jenin instead of Nazareth, Lud, and Haifa. Uh, so, um, so for me, we, we need to understand that we need to focus both on Israel being Jewish and democratic state. And then to ask the question, is it possible? Is it possible that Israel a Jew, can be a Jewish and democratic state? I think I'm a living proof of that, that it's possible. Um, saying all that, I would say that it's still there is challenges and there is things to fix, yeah. but it's like in any society, in any country. Of course, it's not the Balfour Declaration. This is what the basis of this was, which didn't necessarily advocate for a Jewish state, but it did advocate for um, universal values amongst the people that still lived there for centuries and the new Jewish emigrants and indeed some of the Jews who've never left mm -hmm. the ones in yep. uh, Jerusalem for example so uh, if we're going to live by the Balfour Declaration uh, then I think that's probably a pretty good place um, to be. I think that this is one of the most historic misunderstandings about Balfour Declaration is that, and Zionism in general is that it's not mutually exclusive um, just because there is a Jewish state or the state of Israel, no matter who its inhabitants are, who its citizens are, doesn't mean that there can't be an Arab state or a Palestinian state in the future. It's a very, it's not a zero-sum game. True. And I think that people latch on to that because it's much easier to think in black and white. Mm -hmm. And it has been from the beginning of this conflict. You know, the Palestinians were lobbying against the Balfour Declaration, but the Balfour Declaration doesn't mean Palestinians can't have a state. No, and doesn't. instead they latch onto this and demonize it yes. instead of moving forward, yeah, which has been the problem for 70 plus years. No, no, a thousand times no. Where do you guys stand on um, Judea and Samaria? Um, because there is an opportunity in the Peace to Prosperity Plan masterminded by our mutual friend Jason Greenblatt who came up with a brilliant idea which many commentators believe was the best plan yet because of course it gave birth to the Abraham Accords and that has been a phenomenal one. We await Indonesia's arrival to the table. There is no reason why these Israelis who live in these areas in Judea and Samaria, the biblical heartland of the Jewish people, need to remain in a state of limbo. There is no reason we should allow President Abbas and the Palestinian leadership to have a veto card in any way, shape, or form over Israelis who live in what I don't use as the term settlements. I use the term cities and towns, perhaps neighborhoods, because that's what they really are. The word settlements, historically, I understand why people started to use it. 
But over the years, it has been used as a pejorative term, as a political term, and that's not what it is. For those who don't go to the so-called settlements, they should understand that these are neighborhoods no different than the neighborhood that I live in, Teaneck, New Jersey, with homes, with school children singing and playing soccer, and everything else that goes along with it. And what our plan does is not only give the Palestinians four years, as you said, to hopefully begin to understand the very many benefits that could come to them from negotiating on this plan and eventually hopefully signing a peace treaty. But it also gives the Israelis finality, finally, to allow these Israeli citizens to live like their brothers and sisters throughout the rest of Israel. Because it so represents facts on the ground, perhaps more than any other, where, where, where do you guys stand on uh, the Judea and Samaria becoming sovereign Israel? Go ahead. L listen. First of all, I always say that the deal of the century, the Trump deal, it's a good starting point for negotiation. Mm -hmm. But there is a couple of sections in that uh, agreement, in that uh, a, a peace agreement, that must immediately change. One, the fact that there was a section of moving the triangle villages in Israel and then drawn the green light, we call it, which is the, how do you call it, the visual, the um, border, the green line, the mm -hmm. border between uh, Israel and Palestine, and, and drawing it into moving those villages who are right now uh, uh, villages in Israel mm -hmm. with Israeli Arab Arabs villages. and move them into Palestine. And the people in that villages, in those villages, will become Palestinians. Uh, this is something unacceptable. Because one, those villages are part of Israel. Second, those citizens are Arab Israelis. And in fact, here's something no nobody knows actually. One of the villages or one of the towns is Taibi, is a village with the majority of Arab Muslims. The head of the biggest bank in Israel, Bank Lumi, is Samar Hajjihya, and Samar Hajjihya lives in Taibi, which means Professor Samar Hajjihya right now is an Israeli Arab, head of the biggest bank in Israel, Bank Lumi. <laughs> but according to that plan, he would become a Palestinian. I mean, so, to be fair, no, the no, plan was that only if it was mutually agreed upon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. You can't have that. That sounds absurd. Let me, let me, let me, let me again clarify. Not only, not only that, that mutually agreed, but the majority of that village needs to agree on that. Yes. It, it means the citizen of those village, of the, of the village or town, needs to vote in order that to be agreed. But I'm from the beginning say it shouldn't be there. Yes. Yeah, it shouldn't be so, on the table. shouldn't be on the table. Yeah. That's, so, so again, but there is a good starting point. Now, we do understand that uh, in order for Israel not to become a, an apartheid state like everyone says, we need a two-state solution. Because anyone who thinks that uh, the Palestinians in Gaza or in the West Bank will agree to be in one-state solution without the rights to vote, for instance, is absurd. And it's not going to happen. Yeah. And not to anyone mention the fact it's a democratic threat yeah, to, the, uh, well, to the Jewish majority. This is exactly what I'm coming if for. If not so, today, then later. So, so exactly, this is what I'm coming for, which means that if Israel decides to say, listen, this is one-state solution, and everyone gets the equal rights, just like the Arab citizens in Israel, we're going to give it to the Arabs in the West Bank and in Gaza, you will have a very solid... Uh, 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 possibility that in the future Israel will lose the uh, uh, definition of being a Jewish yeah. and democratic sure. state. So this is very dangerous. That's why we need uh, 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 a peace agreement that maintain or gives the possibility of two states. So on that, on that peace plan, I would say we have a good starting point for a negotiation but I'll tell you one more thing I think that the second step taking this peace plan wouldn't happen with the Americans or the Qataris or the UN or anybody else it's gonna happen from the Arab Israeli society we are the ones 
who take will take this kind of plan and make it happen and fix what needed to fix and negotiate what needed to be negotiated. Once the Arab Israelis are fully integrated and representing the interests of Israel as well as the Arab society in Israel, then we can see a movement towards ending that conflict. We are the key to solve that conflict. This is why we're working today on integrate the Arab society as much as possible into the Israeli society and yes. be an actual part in the Israeli society, in the biggest offices as well. That's the key. And the challenge lies from within. Yosef, you served in the IDF. Mm -hmm. When I met Colonel Richard Kemp in Tel Aviv, he described the sacrifices sometimes that entails with family and friends, not to mention potential pushback from your brothers and sisters in the army. Most people outside Israel haven't got a clue about, which is Arabs that are serving in the IDF. There's quite a few of them, not, not vast numbers, but there's quite a few. When you, when you look at the circumstances in which they serve, it's quite remarkable. And they're incredibly brave young men and women who take enormous risks in order to serve and protect and defend the state of Israel, which, unlike non-Arab, Israelis, it's voluntary for them. They don't have to do it. And presumably they face being ostracized by their friends and family in doing so. Well, one of them that I was speaking to of the two yesterday, his mother, um, I think he's, his mother's his only parent that's alive, his mother effectively disowned him for a year and then they had a kind of re reconciliation. Um, the other one, um, his family completely isolated and cut him off. He comes from a, a very nasty community in East Jerusalem, very anti-Israel, very hostile, um, and his parents cut him off, um, and his family completely cut him off, uh, which isn't surprising because they themselves, of course, had his military service come to the attention of the community in general, they, they would have been subject to hate and, and possibly attack and death themselves, so um, the, these are the circumstances in which they live, and I think it's, it's absolutely admirable that there are some young men and women prepared to step forward and stand up to, to protect the country that does actually protect them, whether they're Muslims or Jews or Arabs or whatever they are. You know, um, what's it like to be an Arab Israeli, a real minority, serving in the IDF? Let me tell you something about my time serving in the IDF. I served in the Gulani Brigade. It's the best combat fight brigade in, in the IDF. Anybody says otherwise... He has no clue what he's talking about. <laughs> and uh, the second I stepped into the Gulani family, I was part of the family. Not only that, back then I was among maybe five, six Israeli Arabs who joined and served and volunteered in the IDF. Which means that the majority of the soldiers, the fighters that I was with, they were obligated to serve in the army. I volunteered. All my friends, my soldiers' friends, brothers, they not only respected that, but they admired the fact that I decided to give from my years, yeah, three years, to serve my country. And so the, the reason also what I did it, it's because it's simple. It's called the IDF. It's not the JDF. No, it's not the Jewish Defense Force. It's Israel's Defense Force. And when the IDF protects Israel, it protects all its citizens, Arabs and Jews. And when Hamas and Hezbollah attack Israel, their missiles don't discriminate between Jews and Arabs. They uh, are a target. Their missiles are... Uh, you know, targeting Arabs and Jews. We saw that in Lebanon during the Second Lebanon War when uh, when uh, half of the civilians were uh, killed by Hezbollah rockets were Arab Muslims. We saw that in the last round in Gaza uh, where we actually uh, see that the Hamas rockets, more than 4,500 rockets, killed Arabs and Jews and targeted Arabs and Jews, targeted villages and towns, Arab villages and towns, Jewish villages and towns. So, 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 the fact is that this is what I saw in 2003 when I started my service and I was among few. And today there is thousands of Israeli Arabs serving in the uh, uh, IDF. It shows that uh, more and more Arab Israelis are realizing uh, why it's important to serve because you want to protect your country and your society. Um, and, and, and as for my family and uh, my friends, uh, my family, I, I mean, until today with all my activities, they support and they are uh, 
they're amazing. I mean, eventually, you know, you want to go back home and you want to feel welcomed and uh, loved because in this type of work, you know, Emily and I, we know how it's hard and how people, you know, uh, uh, extremists treat you and uh, and uh, uh, give you the feeling of uh, uh, bad feelings all the time. And you really want to just go home and feel comfortable. And uh, if the family wouldn't uh, support, that would be really, really, really hard. So I'm very happy to say that uh, my family supported. And as my, my friends, it went to two parts. Some of them, you know, uh, uh, agreed and uh, they also uh, uh, encouraged. And some didn't like that. But this is, this is, I knew that would happen. And are they still your friends, the guys who are not exactly on your team? Also, it splits the two. Right. A part that we're not a friend anymore, and the other part saying that going back to today, to they're telling me that going back 20 years ago, seeing why it was important to serve, they would have taken the same choice like I did. So this is like... Excellent. Yeah, like <laughs> Can we talk about the Amnesty International report briefly? Yeah. Because it ticks all the boxes of the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism against the state of Israel, double standards, demonization, delegitimization, but people believe it. Mm -hmm. I have a producer on a radio station who is a perfectly reasonable young lady, and she did a podcast, I'd look down the list, and it found two guys in the West Bank who were on a crackly line... I thought they were in Gaza, but of course they'd be killed if they were in Gaza talking to her. <laughs> Obviously, so they're in the West Bank where they can talk. And apparently, the line was crackly because you know why? Oh, it's a bit it's difficult. The Jews, whereas, you know. whereas it's like it's probably like <laughs> 9G down there, 11G, not 5G. It's probably so advanced. And they were talking about well, they were basically relaying the Jeremy Corbyn story to a British audience, basically about okay. delegitimization and just stuff and changing. Um, amnesty. It's getting into people's heads. And you guys fight the good fight, as you did yesterday, as you're doing on this podcast, which I'm delighted will go around the world. God, it's tiring, isn't it? It's exhausting, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think that this has been a myth that's been going on for as long as I've been involved in Israel stuff, from the time that I was on campus in the United States. I mean, the reason that I got involved is because I saw the Students for Justice in Palestine um, have their apartheid week. So this has been something that's been used to demonize the state of Israel for years. It's also Afrikaans as well. Why don't we just use, find another word? We'll, find a, well they find don't find another word on purpose. It's Afrikaans. That's exactly what they want. That's exactly yeah, what they want. They want to associate it with apartheid South Africa yeah. because everyone knows that what happened with apartheid South Africa is evil. Yes. Unfortunately for them, that's not what's happening. That's not what's happening on the ground. This hasn't been and isn't an issue of race. Um, is there racism? Of course there's racism in the state of Israel. But it's the farthest thing from an apartheid regime. And there aren't laws that are, that are you know, put forth on the basis of uh, race or religion. And yet they continue to peddle this lie intentionally to demonize Israel, which is what you said. That's exactly why this report is anti-Semitic, according to the IRA definition of anti-Semitism, because it is an intentional obfuscation of the truth. Yes. It is an intentional demonization. You know, I think that if they took out a lot of the inflammatory rhetoric, maybe they would have a point on some of the things that they talked about. But the fact that they did it the way that they did it, with the language that they did, the same way that we saw with certain members of Congress in the United States, Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Amar, during the operation in May. So um, this is something that uh, that is a very clear demonization of the state of Israel. And... Um, Yosef can talk more about like the contents of the report and, and why it was so problematic because they, basically they were they were looping together Israeli Arabs and Palestinians, which again this is a huge um, mistake in how they're describing the situation and really shows that their their arrogance and their ignorance of this issue um, and what's actually going on on the ground between Arabs and Jews. Mm -hmm. They want to present it as as two groups who are fighting against each other, and that's simply yes. not the case. Yeah. I mean, I mean, let's let's take a look at the uh, uh, at this report, and if we go and talk about section by section, you can easily refute that by just 
talking about the reality. Now, there is some points, very little, that uh, indeed we need to fix. But this is the thing, it's 280 pages. <laughs> and if I say only some points out of 280 pages, that exactly shows how um, not even close to be reliable this uh, this and report. And obsessive. And obsessive towards, uh, towards mm-hmm. Israel. And it seems like nobody understands the definition of apartheid. They have no clue. You know what? Let me take that back. They have a clue. They're just using the word apartheid for their own benefit. It. Of course, and yeah. they know that. And and for those who are doing that, it's just really bad for the people who suffered from real apartheid. This is injustice, doing injustice for the people who really suffered from uh, from real apartheid regime. Apartheid regime. And you know what? I've been in Johannesburg. I've visited South Africa. Yeah, I have as well. And people and are still living like that in their head. But but, but here's the thing. I I spoke to students who their parents and grandparents have been under apartheid regime and after I talked to them about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict shared with them the reality on the ground I asked them can, can you compare the conflict to the apartheid that happened in South Africa and then I added and I said the fact is that people are comparing it is doing injustice for your parents and your grandparents and there is not even one head that didn't nod mm-hmm. and for accept- in, in acceptance. Yeah. So, we understand that there's even South Africans, I mean, they're fed up from this, from this comparison. I mean, come on. And there's only one reason, in my opinion, why they're doing this. Those human rights organizations like Amnesty International, like Betselem, Breaking the Silence, and Human, you know, Rights, Human Watch. Rights Watch. And the United Nations. Yes, <laughs> that one. Uh, spe- specific, yeah, yeah, you could say that. But specifically for those organizations, um, they're not really interested in solving the problem and the conflict. And in fact, I, I, I really understand why. Do you know how much money each of those organizations gets yearly? Millions. Some of them even hundreds of millions of dollars. You know how much money everyone who writes this report gets? Hundreds of thousands of dollars. If there's no conflict, there's no money. If there's no money, there's no salary. I talked in some detail in financial terms with Professor Gerald Steinberg of NGO Monitor about uh, the human rights industry, which has grown up um, particularly over the last 25 years. In the late 80s and 90s, money going into these institutions and therefore giving them the power I mentioned Amnesty International, which went from a very small voluntary group of dedicated individuals to a multi, hundreds of millions of pounds a year. The last time that I was able to look at the numbers, something like uh, 250 million pounds a year. They also hide their, their, the details. I won't get into that now, but that's part of the work that we do. Human Rights Watch is around $90 million a year. This is a multi-billion dollar industry. That gives them a lot of power to influence, to shape the public debate and the the media coverage and the UN activities. All these things led to the capture and and very much the damage that was done, almost the destruction of those values of human rights. And in the European Union as well as the United Nations. From misinformation to a total lack of education, um, let's introduce ourselves to the wonderful world of Whoopi Goldberg. (laughs) Now, I've never met anyone called Goldberg who said what she did. <laughs> the Holocaust isn't about race. No. No. It's well, not about race. No, it's about a different race. But it's it's not about race. It's not about well, race. What is it about? Because you, it's about man's inhumanity to man. That's what it's about. But it's about white supremacy. It's well, about but going it's after not, it's Jews not about and, ideal and race. It's it's but these are two Roma. white groups of people. Well, How do we have to black people see them as white? And they but you're missing the point. You're yeah. missing the point. Yeah. The minute you turn it into race, it goes down this alley. Let's talk about it for what it is. It's how people treat each other. 
It's a problem. It doesn't matter if you're black or white, because black, white, Jews, uh, Italian, everybody eats each well, other. She's not actually called Goldberg. No, hey, there's another co- thing, co-opted. isn't there? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, oi. And later in the war, um, city people from uh, Budapest, from Vienna, my, my grandparents left Vienna just in time, April 39. Somehow they lived months, six months after Kristallnacht. Adolf Eichmann came into my grandfather's typewriter shop and said, this guy here, a local, right, this is his business now, you can uh, you can get lost. And so basically his business was confiscated. Wow. But because he was a strong young man and an ex-professional footballer, <laughs> just about coming to the end of his career, he and his brother, who was also a pro, were able to go to Kitchener Camp in Sandwich and Kent to be a fit young contributor to the British war effort because they understood they weren't exactly Germans or Austrians mm-hmm. probably not on balance so uh, they they left and luckily here I am two generations later um, Whoopi Goldberg is a symptom of what's going on mm-hmm. in the exactly. African American community and indeed amongst the left leaning Democrat voters in the United States yes. what the hell's going on she That's didn't really apologize either. She didn't apologize, did she? No, exactly. she apologized and then sort of backtracked on the apology, and then she was mad that she got suspended. Excellent. She should change <laughs> her name to Whoopi. Something else. Anything else. <laughs> yeah. I think you touched on something important regarding the um, uh, black community, American black community. And um, in fact, uh, we are actually planning. Uh, with our organization uh, and, uh, uh, and an organization in uh, the United States, um, uh, it's, it's the name of the organization is... Institute uh, for Black Solidarity with Israel. And we're planning to go to a mutual delegation around the campuses in the United States. And, and this is huge because for the first time you will have a minority group, black Americans, and a minority group, Arab Israelis, collaborating together and one trying to tell people about Israel and second don't Americanize what's going on in Israel to what's happened in the United States in terms of slavery because it's not even close we're having a terrible thing with BLM in this country because that is an imported culture from the United States into this country and our relationship between black and white is totally different Right? black people didn't come here and was, they weren't slaves and as Trevor Phillips said um, the great Trevor Phillips he said what does it say about the mixed race people who've been born out of love in this country for the last two or three generations Yes. The Premier League takes the knee I mean, over I think that. And so this Americanization of race and this, what's the other term I'm looking for? Identity politics, mm-hmm. the obsession over race, woke yeah. racism. Yes, exactly. It's appalling. It's a huge problem that we have. And, and you, you were right when you said that what Whoopi Goldberg said is a symptom of a larger problem. It, it isn't just in the black community. It's on the far left and it's the far left that's hijacked the Democratic Party in the United States, and they want everything to be about racial conflict. And again, just like in Israel, that's not really the situation. It's not an accurate depiction. And the result of this is that you see Jews being forced out of the conversation, whether on Israel or in, or within the United States. That's why you have people like Whoopi Goldberg saying, oh, well, the Holocaust was about white people and white people, when, of course, that's the furthest thing from the truth. Oh, man. So it's wicked, uh, wicked. and you know just to, just to come full circle to the amnesty report, I think one of the things, the, the most pernicious lies in the amnesty report, and the the elitism that's so obvious uh, from this fact that they they are defining 
who Israeli Arabs are. Yeah. They, as Europeans, yeah. are coming in and saying, oh, well, we know. You, you define yourself as an Israeli Arab. Sorry, that's not good enough for us. Yeah. Yeah. We, as the Europeans, come in, and we will tell you who you are. Oh, it's disgusting. And they don't even see their own hypocrisy in this. They do that with Jews, identifying what anti-Semitism is yep. from a non jewish Exactly. Yeah. So you guys made a... I love your videos, by the way. Thank you. You made a very powerful video. This is a really powerful video about those who wish to globalize the Intifada. In other words, oh, yeah. those, want, those who want to bring rioting to their streets, yes. terrorism to their streets, and young minds are being poisoned. It's, it's, it's really such a dangerous thing. I walked the other night from Gare de l'Est in Paris to Gare du Nord. I'm never doing that again. <laughs> it was literally lawless. Anything could have happened. Basically, guys walking around, guys on bicycles, just aimless guys. They've got nowhere to go, and they're standing between the stations. And it's a, a pretty dangerous place. It's it it, it 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 could appeal to that mindset. That's Europe. We're seeing we're seeing again how people who have never been in Israel, never been in the West Bank or Gaza, how people that has no clue what the meaning of intifada and the consequences of intifada is chanting intifada intifada chanting from the river to the sea palestine will be free without really knowing the consequences of things like this i think the most dangerous things you also have the people who are leading it they do yeah they the people do. who are leading this they do it's the people exactly. who are exactly yeah exactly it's the normalization of it and that's so so the people who are leading it uh, and and I wouldn't even mind saying such as the squad in, uh, in 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 the United States, for instance, and other organizations, uh, whether it's in Europe, uh, we've seen that they know the consequences, yet they don't care, and then the people who has no idea, they follow them, and it become more and more dangerous, and on the expense of who, us. The people who live in Israel, the yeah. Palestinians, the Arab Israelis, the Jews, mm -hmm. they don't care. Yeah. So we suffer. Yeah. Okay. People die from both sides, but they are very convenient to do it yeah. from the United States, from England, without even really realizing what they are doing. Yeah. Luxury, and that's why it was Sharia apartheid. You know, luxury, this is why uh, it's very important to do that video. Protesting. Yeah. Finally, we're going to end with a joke. Uh, how do you boycott Israel when Israel's technology supports so many of the world's key infrastructures? <laughs> we, we Good luck. Let's have a laugh with that. The you iPhone, know, this iPhone's full of Israeli stuff. You know, we're very we, proud of that. We did a huge, huge, amazing video yes, on how to boycott Israel. <laughs> yeah. Now, the had thing like is... over a million views. No, no yeah. the thing it's is... A no, the, the thing is, we, we, we specifically headlined the video as how to boycott, the best way to boycott Israel, because we wanted anti-Israeli activists to go there and, and, and uh, to see the video. Yeah. So it, it worked so good that even Jeremy... And the supporters of Facebook group, supporters of Jeremy Corbyn, they shared it. They shared the <laughs> video. <laughs> and then when they realized that... And it, it was there for a long time. And yeah. when they realized... They hadn't it, watched it. They thought, oh, yeah, yeah boycott yeah, all yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, yeah. There's, there's exactly. So they realized so only later. A things there. You can put lots of... You can put the A word in there, apartheid, put the B word in there. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was Throw it all in so there. I actually just did that. I did a video about Lebanon in the aftermath of the yeah. amnesty report. Uh, and uh, Lebanon has very discriminatory laws against... Um, Palestinians. Against yes. Palestinians. So there I did is a video about this. Yeah, exactly. It is So that's what I mean. the Palestinians. Exactly. That's what I made the video about, and I, I saw again a bunch of people who were anti-Israel shared it, and then like, and only then see. realizing that it was talking about Lebanon, it was a, it was really good one actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's also an apartheid for Christians in in Lebanon too. I mean, you know, it is one of the only countries in the Middle East still with a reasonably large population yeah. of Christians, and they are of the Coptic variety and the Orthodox variety. They're similar to that of their neighbors, the Cypriots and the Greeks. Very tragically, in Egypt, the Christian um, religion is uh, closing down. And, of course, uh, we see um, a reduction of the Christianity in Bethlehem as well. We've seen that immediately. I mean, uh, which is under, the Israeli, under the Israeli authority, you had 80% Christian.
Christians in Bethlehem, 20% Muslims. Under the Palestinian Authority, you have 20% Christians and 80% Muslims. Yeah. And they're not, they're not coming back. Apparently, they go to Santiago in Chile. Yes. Mostly, most, yeah. mostly yeah, yeah, Chile. I mean, yeah. I mean, there is a huge Christian Palestinian community in Chile. So of course, in contrast, the general. Christians in Israel are actually growing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Which way, is the rebuttal to our own Archbishop here of Canterbury. Oh yeah, yes. I spoke. Of, I addressed that. He's yeah. complete. I'm not gonna. <laughs> no, say saying it. It's complete idiot. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, I, I read the the letter. You shouldn't have said it. He has no idea what's going on. Yeah. Are you kidding me? And in fact, you can literally just divest the, 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 this letter and direct it to most of the Arab countries, and uh, and definitely Hamas in the in Gaza, where Christians are persecuted there. But again, it's the same. It's the same trend. You see people who aren't from there. You see uh, oftentimes Europeans or Americans who don't know anything coming in and speaking over people who are actually from the Christian community, like him. Mm-hmm. Like there are people who um, w- will speak about what's happening in Israel and they don't care because they don't want to hear it. They have an agenda. Yeah. yeah well, by the way, uh, we're soon going to Chile. Yes. So uh, right. it's going to be that should a be challenge. Interesting. That'll be fun. Speakers, counter, speakers Corner Round 2. Round yeah. 2, yeah. yeah. Let's see how their democracy yeah. stacks up. Emily Schrader, Yosef Haddad, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you and sharing your ideas. As well. Thank you for joining you so us much. here on Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Thank you very much for having us. Love is love. Love is love. Adi- Johnny Gould's Jewish State is supported by UK Teremet, promoting philanthropy.